You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Green and Gold History. 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. He's the world champion. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's the Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations, the great Billy Bean is back with us. Billy, it's been a while. How are, how are you? And how, how's life with the family and everything? Uh, well, good. Uh, well, as the family's going good, just, you, just like everybody else, uh, kids just back in school. Uh, it seems like summers are getting shorter and shorter uh, uh, as I get older with the kids. But, uh, you know, it's been a, a challenging year on the diamond. As you know, you've been there every night for us, Chris. So, uh, you know, some good things and some things not so good. But uh, I think going into the season, we there were some, you know, we had some expectations that there was going to be some bumps along the road. But uh, starting to see some good things, which is, which is good. And uh, and listen, it's uh, uh, you know, this is the trials and tribulations of putting together a team, and and uh, we've done it before, so uh, we'll get it on the right track. Yeah, I said this with David Forrest on the David Forrest Show. If there's anything, you guys got street cred. You've done this so many times that no one's sitting here flipping out going, oh, my God, we could be bad for 20 years like the Pirates were. I mean, you guys got that street cred where you've done this before. But the great thing about today's interview is we're not talking about baseball right now. We're talking about one of your favorite seasons one of your favorite teams, a lot of people that you absolutely love. We're celebrating the 2002 Oakland Athletics. Of course, the book, the movie, all of that. But I want to get into the actual team and what that season was like, what baseball was like, and where you were in your career at that point. So when we look back, what was baseball like in 2002 for the athletics, for you, which is so far different than where we are now? Well, uh, a lot less gray hair. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, you know, it was such an intense time for, for the organization, myself personally. I mean, every day, I mean, it. Uh, again, and part of it was youth. You know, I was a very young guy. Uh, it was David was even younger. I think that was David's third year with us. His first year is 2000. Uh, so he was very young in his career. Paul DePodesta was still here. The old gang was, uh, yeah. was all together. And, uh, uh, and again, just it, 20 years, it, it, it does seem like a long time ago. I mean, 20 years is a long time. Uh, I, I still have incredible memories. The one thing about, obviously, the, uh, the elephant in the room is, is that was the year that, you know, Michael used to write the book. And in some sense, that team will always sort of continue to live on uh, in the memory of, not, you know, not just Ace fans, but even people who weren't necessarily Ace fans, because the book, even to this day, you know, credit to Michael, continues to have, uh, you know, uh, fans and, and readers, not just in the States, but around the world. It's funny, I was on the, I was on the phone uh, call from a, a gentleman who actually, he was in Mallorca, Spain. He, he lives in London. He's Italian. And uh, we were talking and I explained, I said, hey, I, I've got to get off. I'm doing an interview. And he goes, and, and he knew all about the team. He knew all about the book, despite <laughs> the fact that he grew up in, in Italy. Uh, so, uh, again, you're, you're never going to forget. I, I won't. You know, th- this team will always sort of go down and, you know, historically because of so many things, not just the streak. 
but you know what's interesting, and it, the one thing, and I was before we were getting ready to speak, Chris, I sort of had to you know think about myself. Like, what's the thing that I remember most about the streak? Uh, not just the year, but the streak was all I remember was we won 20 games in a row and barely moved the needle on the Angels behind us, which, you know, you asked me the question about, you know, where was I in my career? I mean, I, I didn't relax for one day because we still, we won 20 games and the idea that you could win 20 straight games and maybe not win the division was very much a possibility because the Angels were so good and were almost nearly as, as hot as we were at that time. And so you never really got to enjoy every single win because there was uh, just so much need to win every game because the Angels were right on your your rear end. As, and as everybody know that that knows that team was uh, very good and they went on to win the World Championship. That's how good they were. So uh, the twenty games, you think twenty games, you, you'd be in a great mood for twenty days, but you were just really on the edge of your seat because of you're looking over your shoulder the whole time. Uh, the other thing I remember about the streak, and we could talk about the whole season and some of the players, but um, uh, I, I I knew when I, I almost knew a hundred percent. I say that you know, but that w when it was going to end, I you know we had had some miraculous finishes. Uh, I think Miggy had had a game yeah. winning hit. I think on a day game against Kansas City. Uh, in fact, a couple of games in that series. Obviously, Hattie's home run in the twentieth game. And I think the Twins, I believe we had a, I think Miggy might have, maybe, did Miggy hit a homer against the Twins maybe in the weekend before? Just, we were just having just incredible comebacks. But I remember we had, I think we we won on a Wednesday. I believe the 20th game was on a Wednesday. We had, I think we had an off day uh, on a Thursday and we were traveling and we played Minnesota. And at that time, Minnesota was A, good. B, the Metrodome was arguably uh, one of the toughest places in sports to play at that time playing in the Metrodome. And I think Radke was pitching against us. I think it was Brad Radke. I think I'm pretty sure that was the matchup. I'm not completely sure, but he just knew like, wow, this is going to be really tough to beat these guys. We were sort of a little mentally exhausted from it. I say we, cause I was too. Uh, but you kind of knew that that was going to be the night and, and, it, and it was, but, uh, but that team, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. You know, as many years as I've been here, we have a lot of, you know, weekend events with some of the, you know, you know, teams of the past, which are wonderful. But I think of all the ones we've had, this is one that I'm looking forward to because I really love those guys in that team. And I sort of look back and, you know, you talk about where I was in my career. You know, now when I walk in the locker room, uh, I'm I'm definitely a lot older than everybody in there. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I started yeah. thinking about, I started thinking about the group now and I was not that far. Some of the guys were older than I was. You know, we had guys in that team. I, I was that. I remember I was looking the other day on, on Doug Jones, you know, the late Doug Jones, unfortunately. Um, and when I, when he, I was the general manager, he was old, quite a few years older than me. You like were in five. better, you were in better shape than some of those guys on the team. I, I, you know what? I think I worked out more than them. Mainly that was sort of my stress relief was during the games. It's sort of common knowledge that I would work out yeah. during the game. And, and in fact, the, the 20th game, I, I must have put in six miles in the treadmill and we were still only in the fourth inning. So I had a lot of energy still left in me, but, uh, uh, but yeah, looking back, I was not that much older than a lot of the guys. So I, I there was really a, a, I had a real uh, strong relationship with a number of the players and uh, particularly Hattie, you know, Scott, who I'm still friends with, he works for us now. We, we actually, yeah. So we're, you know, very, you know, very close. And, and I look back, they're really a good bunch of guys. 
and uh, you know, beyond being good baseball players. And and the other thing too is that yeah, that was the team that was coming off the oh the oh one team was an amazing team. I still think the two thousand one team, in my opinion, is the best team from pure just talent and balance that I, that I've ever had since I've been here over the years. And I really thought it was a team that was a deserving of a, a title. You know, it's one to me. It's one of those teams like you look at the Indians of the nineties that were one of the best teams for a long time that never won a title. I think that 2001 team sort of fits in that category because they didn't win the title. Nobody talked about them. Fast forward to 2002. I remember when we got beaten uh, 2001, the night we got home about three in the morning and me and Paul DePodesta were watching everybody unload their bags at three in the morning after a tough loss to the Yankees in game uh, with game five. And I remember looking at Paul and just saying, and knowing that Johnny Damon was going to be gone, Jason was going to be gone, Jason Jambi, Isringhausen was going to be gone. And I just go, wow, we may never see a team like this. So we were starting 02 a little bit personnel-wise in this huge hole. I mean, you win 101 games. I think it was 102 or 101 games. And you lose star players, MVP caliber players. You know, Izzy was uh, one of the best relievers in the game. Johnny Damon, you know, uh, is, you know enough said. And so going into that season, there, there were so many people who expected, you know, just a huge drop off. And for them, I think we ended up winning one more game when it was all said and done. And, and we also, I think and that was the year we also started pretty slow, too, if you yes. recall. We had a really slow start. Uh-huh. And, and in uh, June, we, actually, I think it was June. I mean, now you could have cut, you can kind of see why you guys had that streak of 20 games because it was like in June, you rolled off something like, 15 out of 16 or 16 out of 17. So you'd had a streak before earlier in the season too that got you back from that slow start. Yeah, and and if you recall, that was also the time we. And again, I'm uh, see if my memory's correct. We have we had a slow start, but we knew internally the team was good. It was just still a small sample size, but we knew with some of the stuff, the analytics that we're using, that our team was actually good. We just had, had a, some bad luck. That being said, we know in sports, no one sort of buys, you know, when the guy, hey, we're a good team, but we got a bad record. You just got to believe us, right? It just, yeah. it just, it doesn't fly. It doesn't fly with you. It doesn't fly with anybody. And we, I think we got back from Toronto and we were at our sort of low point, but we knew we were a good team. I mean, Paul and I knew like, hey, this is a good team. We're going to be fine. But it was also when we came back was when we had, I think like, with the, it was like a Black Monday where we made all these changes, you know, we moved guys out. And, and there was this belief that we had sort of created, you know, by virtue of our moves in the front office, that we had sort of made all the right moves that corrected the team. When in reality, we knew we were good. We, we sort of, the moves we made were more on the fringe, you know. It, it really didn't affect the core of the team. But, but because there was a, few, a number of moves on that day, there was this idea that we made these genius moves. And in fact, the team was just really good. It just needed to be left alone. And the moves we made were more sort of a window dressing and uh, and, 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 and looked good from the outside because the team started playing well, but it wasn't necessarily a result of those moves. That being said, I do think uh, one of the guys we brought in on that day, we brought into the team, we brought in John Mabry, I think was part of that because I think Jeremy left to Philly and I think Mabry came in. I want to say that was the, the, the about the same time and John was incredible for us. I mean, John had, you know, game-winning hits and, uh, and and really just took off as soon as he got here and gave us a real jolt. So, uh, but in, in reality, the team was really good. And, 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 you know, us leaving it alone probably 
we would have still had a really good season and you know probably won the division. Yeah, we just had John on when he came in with Kansas City on the coaching staff and talked about, oh, this was like the greatest year of my career. And like, oh, it was a it was a special time. And and we're we're holding out hope. We know it may be a possibility that Miguel Tejada could show up for this celebration. And as you mentioned, you lost your primetime guy in Jason Giambi, an MVP, and we know what he meant to this franchise. Little did we know in spring training at that point that Miguel Tejada was about to become a national primetime guy and be an MVP. And he hasn't been back since. I think I really hope we get to see him and he shows up because he deserves his due as an Oakland athletic, and I'm sure you agree. Oh, well, I mean, it was, it was funny. I got a... I got a message from uh, Miggy not too long. It was a couple of months. He, he sent me a note, and uh, and I had heard from him in years, so it was nice to communicate with him because, like like everybody, every fan, what you saw in the field with Miguel, the personality was exactly the guy that was in the clubhouse. It, he just was just such a good guy, a tremendous talent too, uh, really a tremendous talent. And so I'm I'm going to be looking forward to seeing him as well. And it was good to see that he's coming out. And I know, uh, how do you'll be out here? How do you'll be out here? Mulder. I saw, I think I saw Mark Mulder come out here. I think Terrence Long is going to be just, it's been a, it's a really good turnout. And, uh, again, I'm looking forward to seeing these guys too. I just saw Ramon. Actually, it was, uh, I uh, was in the clubhouse about a month ago, and, and Elvis Andrus, I walked by Elvis Andrus, and he was on a FaceTime at the time with Ramon Hernandez, <laughs> who, like Elvis, is from uh, Venezuela. And so I, he kind of, he stopped me, he goes, hey, here's one of your friends. And and I spoke to Ramon, who, who I believe was is managing in Mexico, I believe, right now, uh, as, a, as a manager there. And it was good to talk to Ramon. I saw him here one time, too. And it, it was funny, you know, because you want to talk about the O2 team. I remember Ramon, uh, just, I love Ramon, just such a mentally tough, of all the players here, he was one of the most mentally tough kids we had here. I mean, he really, I, I, again, people, you know, forget he was a really good player, good offensive, uh, catcher, good defensive catcher. And it's funny. I, I sort of, one of my, one of the things I was always a proponent of and was, I never liked collisions at the plate with, uh, with catchers i just thought it was just a play that didn't need to happen i've always thought that and uh the posey you know injuries certainly i thought prompted rule changes that i think have been good to the game that's my opinion i don't buy into this like a catcher sitting there waiting for somebody to clean his clock is a good idea yeah the old mike Sosha sitting there blocking the plate well before the ball ever got there yeah i just don't yeah i just don't again i just think these are vulnerable positions now the catcher has gear on you know, and sometimes, but still, I mean, just, I just don't think it's a great play. And I, I was always a proponent of the rule changes that we have now. I think it's been great. And since they put them in, you don't see those kind of injury causing collisions. And so the reason I tell this story was uh, Ramon, who was a physically tough guy. And uh, I remember uh, we, we, we lost a game in Kansas City. It was a crazy game. And I can't remember the year. It might have been 01. I don't know. If, I think it was 02. Uh, and it was like a 15 to 14. It was one of those crazy games. Mick, at the end of the day, uh, Ramon, there was a play at the plate, Kansas City scored, and, and there was this thought that maybe he could have blocked the plate to save the run and, and win. And, and, and I remember saying, I remember going to Ramon and going, I don't ever want you blocking the plate. I said, I'd rather lose one game than lose that. you for two weeks. 
And uh, that was my belief. And, you know, because he certainly was tough enough. I don't think necessarily, you know, blocking the plate is necessarily a very pragmatic idea with one of the most important positions on the field. And that was the message I used to give when Kurt Suzuki came over. I, I told Kurt, because he was here when the rule change happened. I said, Kurt, I don't want you sacrificing your body for one run. I, I need you for the whole year. And I'm willing to give up that run or that game uh, for you to stay healthy. And I, and again, I think the game has evolved. But I, the reason I remember Ramon is that Ramon caught a little grief, you know, from I think the general, not the general public, but just people like why didn't and why didn't you throw your whole body there and and what and and it, to me it just wasn't a good idea and I remember saying don't ever do that I'm fine with you not blocking the plate and getting hurt for one run it doesn't I want you healthy and because he was certainly tough enough uh, and and again my my point of saying this is that not only was he physically tough but he's mentally tough he's the he's one player I remember I could literally go up to after a game we used to have this little like wager with each a uh, wager it wasn't actually a wager it was more like kind of a fun game where you know, I, when he was a really good hitter was when he went to right field. So I, I told him every time he pulled a, pulled the ball, I was going to, you know, I was going to get on him. And every time he went the other way, you know, he was going to sort of win that, uh, win that uh, event. And you could really sort of put this kind of pressure on him. And he really responded too. and again, people, you know, it's been a long time since Ramon's been here, but he, he was a real, real important part of that team and a part of that group of players that was around for a couple of years. And you think about your pitching, the only way you're going to have these streaks is not only do you have to have the arms, but they got to get hot together. And Hudson Boulder Zito and then Corey Lytle, I mean, um, so, so sad about Corey, but remembering him, I mean, nobody was hotter in the game during that streak than Corey Lytle. Corey was unbelievable, and and, and it was so satisfying, I think, for a front office because – uh, we, we really, Corey came over in the Johnny, uh, I think it was a Johnny Damon, Mark Ellis deal. Yeah. Uh, was that, and, and, uh, we really wanted him. And one of the reasons I wanted him, I was a little bit obsessed with getting him. He was kind of a middle reliever up and down guy with Tampa, but I recall, and I think it was 2000, we had a game in September when Tampa came in and we needed every single win, as you know, because we won it on the last day and Tampa was a team at that time we should have beaten. And he, I think he came and it was in Oakland. The game was in Oakland and he shut us out. And I, and I never forgot that game. And it was like that from that moment on, I was kind of obsessed with getting a guy who seemed to be very <laughs> underrated and we were able to include him. In fact, he was the guy that we were insisting on to complete the Damon, uh, Ben grieved, uh, deal, uh, which was, I think it was after Oh one. Uh, yeah. Was that, no, it was after Oh 2000. I'm sorry. And, uh, and so to see him sort of blossom, the way he did as a starter with us when that was always the plan was to put him in the rotation uh, was really satisfying to everybody because he when he got on a roll, he was really good, uh, you know, good running, kind of a good running fastball sinker, a really good split finger and really, again, about Corey, he had this sort of self-confidence about him. I mean, he he was afraid of no one when it came to playing the game of baseball and he uh, he was really when he got on a roll. He was tough, and and he was, as you said, he was critical in that streak. That's why the streak happened. We were able to just throw out a starter out there every game, you know, beyond our offense and defense, and just that starter could shut you down. And that's a pretty powerful thing in this game. Yeah, and you you had to replace, as you mentioned, Isringhausen moves on. You got Billy Koch, and then uh, we were talking with Ken Korak about Ken Korak about it the other day. It's like he threw every game. 
Yeah, and Billy and Billy also had this sort of like energy to him, which really worked well with our team too in the crowd. Uh, you know, Billy was kind of a high energy guy on and off the field, and and it, and it worked really really well here. And and as I sort of kid even now, uh, you know, when we uh, when we brought Billy in, I mean, we we gave up a pretty good young player at the time. Uh, it was uh, Hinsky, I think, was went over that deal, and I think Eric ended up being rookie of the year. So thank goodness Billy did have the year. And then at the end of that year, I think we flipped Billy for uh, Keith Folk, uh, and and Keith came over and had a, a couple of good runs for us uh, as as the uh, as the closer. Yeah, pitching it's amazing. I mean, I, I, yeah, I know you can build for it and draft it. And today, now with Tommy John surgery, I know you've said in the past if someone could figure out how to prevent Tommy John surgery, they'd be a billionaire. But what you had with health and stability there in the rotation is just something you pray for as a general manager. Yeah, and it helped that we were young. You know, uh, it was a young team that stayed healthy. And if you look at if you look at that team, the uh, not only just the O two team, but also the O one team, you know, they were you know really starting to hit their prime when they were with us, which was why it was so much fun and why we were so good. But if you look at how long the careers of a lot of those guys went after that, it's really a testament how, to how much talent was actually there. I mean, those guys went on to play a long time. You know, Miggy in, in Baltimore, Huddy in Atlanta. You know, Jason played for a long time, as we know. And yeah. uh, it was a it was a team that, that had staying power beyond, you know, the, uh, the O2 season as well. Even Hattie went on a few uh, – number of years after that, Ramon, again, these guys kept going on, and which is always the thing, you know, if you have any sort of regrets, I say regrets, but, or, you know, things you could wish for is when you imagine, you know, you talk about how different I was. Imagine, you know, my first year was 98 as the gym, and then all of a sudden, 90, 1999 and 2000, we start to create this team. And imagine in a, you know, in a world where you could have kept those guys their entire career. Uh, I mean, for the next decade, you know, you, you, we might be having this conversation, you know, every year with that group, you know, on what they did. That's that's the thing that's disappointing. That's why I've always said was, you know, the tough thing about uh, the last 25 years or so is creating something and not really being able to sort of retain it for uh, a number of years to, to really see how good it can be. You know, we've you know, we've constantly had to turn over a bit. And, and as you know, the, a that's a challenge, but you also don't get get to see uh, potentially what could be some great years ahead. You know, the one thing, though, that you, you do create, and I find it so fascinating when whether the players are done and they come back and we have them on or they're players that are still playing today, what does it mean to you that all these years – these players play for the A's, they move on, they play in other places, have other experiences, but they all seem to say, say the same thing, that this time in Oakland was the best time of their careers. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I think it's a real credit to the culture that, you know, is, has been around the organization, particularly you know, in the baseball operations, which we've had a lot of stability. You know, we kind of let guys just kind of be themselves uh over here you know you kind of chris you and i remember growing up in a weird way it was a little bit like if you remember the uh, oakland raiders i mean yeah you know they bring in these players and they had this sort of 
Raider culture that let guys, you know, Ted Hendricks and let <laughs> Kenny Stabler. I'm, I know. Lyle Alzado. <laughs> yeah. They, they sort of just let them be themselves. And yeah. we are kind of the same way a little bit. And, uh, you know, maybe it's just, it, that's Oakland, you know, that's, it's part of being living and uh, living here. And, and I think that helped a lot. I think, um, uh, you know, a lot of the managers have set the tone over the years, too, which helps a lot. Uh, obviously, we just we had Bob for a decade. And I mean, you know, as well as anybody, Bob's about as uh, competent and as good a guy to play for as you're going to find in baseball. Art was the same way. The players genuinely really liked him. He he, he didn't have a lot of rules. He, you know, he let guys sort of be themselves. And and in the front office, we, you know, listen, just uh, you know, we, we weren't. You know, we, we didn't have, you know, dress codes. We didn't have strict rules. We, you know, we gave them, we expected them to be responsible and they handled themselves well. I mean, there was times, trust me, where I had to put my hands over my ears, you know, because we had that, the, the team, this group were down. This was a really young, talented team and they were a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and so, uh, but, you know, they handled themselves like professionals in the same sense too. We, we if you really look back, we didn't really have too many problems that uh you know that i can recall which is a testament to what kind of character the players were uh but again i think the culture and the environment sort of allowed them to be themselves and and um and you know helped create what ended up being memorable beers for a lot of people and the great thing for me is i got to live every one of them because i feel the same way you know and i remember over the years and we've talked to players when when the team is good and everyone knows, listen, our fans, when and you still hear people talk, you hear Tigers, Verlander still talks about yeah. when this team is good and, 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 and deserving of having big crowds, which that's our responsibility. The, the crowds will come when you're good. I mean, our, our stadium is one of the toughest stadiums to play in in sports. And you've heard great players say that. I mean, I've heard, uh, I heard, uh, I've heard Verlander say a, a number of times. I've heard other players talk about, they hated coming into the stadium when this team was good because of the, uh, the, the fan support and, and just the excitement that this place had, you know, I say this place, I've been in the Coliseum. So, uh, uh, but a good group. And again, it, it is a great call. And going back to the things I remember as a visiting player with the twins, I mean, I obviously wasn't a very good player, which made it even worse. So the day, the, the, the day or two that I played, I remember I played for Kirby Puckett and we had a double header back in the eighties. And I played for Kirby one came and, uh, the idea that I would be subbing for Kirby Puckett just left me open for nine innings of abuse from all the Bleacher fans out there. I couldn't wait for that game to get over. Uh, but uh, uh, but again, uh, the, again, the culture and all that culture wasn't just about the clubhouse, the players. It was really about everything, you know, everything in, in Oakland, even up to the the people you know, you and I know, Chris. I mean, the security guards that you and I have known for years, you know, uh, you know, the same people that which was kind of cool and and. Uh, and is Z. I mean, listen, Mike Zagaris, our team photographer, is part of that culture. Everybody knows Z. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so uh, that, that, you know, it creates a situation, which, again, what you talk about, where we've had great teams, a lot of fun, and, and a great environment. Well, you know, what I've heard is that the intimidation factor was always when teams showed up to the Coliseum and, Eck is outside running in dolphin shorts with no shirt on. Then they come into the stadium. You and Sandy are running around without shirts. I mean, that that really was the uh, – that that's what scared everybody coming to the Coliseum. We did do that. You know what? It's so funny you mentioned that. You probably – 
Yeah, that was uh, that was in my salad eating days, Chris. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I I remember that we would go out there, especially this time of year. You go out there in Oakland is about seventy five. Get out there early, just a little bit after lunch. You know, it, it was also an era when you know. You and I both grew up in San Diego when uh, sunscreen was not, you never heard the word sunscreen, right? Baby so, uh, oil. <laughs> yeah, baby. Or zinc oxide on the nose and that's it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we probably could have been a little better with, as, as I'm every multiple times years, your dermatologist will tell you, I'm paying for those, uh, for those days, but yeah, you're right. And, and as far as that, in 89, when I was here, he, he it's hard to imagine, but he would run down Hagenberger Road and all around the Coliseum at two thirty in the afternoon in his in his shorts and no shirts and, <laughs> and act literally maybe one of the most recognizable athletes of his time, you know, oh. for so many reasons. So uh, it, it always kind of blows me away when I think about that that he he did do that and and uh, didn't even didn't even consider doing anything else. You know, let's end on this, and of course, we always appreciate the time. Uh, I think about the continuity, I think about the loyalty. As you mentioned, just the people that work at the Coliseum, you know, the people all my years doing Raiders, all my years doing Warriors, and then, of course, all the years doing A's, you get to know these people. And I just think about, you know, we just honored Keith Lippman 52 years, Steve Vucinich 54 years. You just start thinking about everybody around you, David Forrest, Billy O., uh, you think about Kubota, you think about Pam Pitts. I mean, you think about everybody. What has it been since you took over and you became the general manager? For you, it's been about that continuity and that loyalty inside this organization because you really don't see that anywhere else in sports. Yeah, and I think that's what's made it special for us, particularly, you know, even the baseball ops. We've gone through a number of ownership changes during that time. You know, I've had the Haas family, uh, you know, Steve Schott and Ken Hoffman. Uh, Lou was the managing partner. John Fisher's taken over. So it's unusual to have that kind of continuity in, in any industry, and particularly this one, is particularly when you have ownership changes. So I think that's part of – actually, I didn't say what's part of I think that's what has made, at least for me – uh, the organization so special. Even yourself, Chris, I mean, you sort of leave yourself out of this. You and I sort of go back to you uh, doing a Sunday show back in 90, gosh, what was it, 94, 90, I don't know how long. 96, ago 97. 96, 97. Yeah, I remember talking to you on a Sunday, the, the prime role, right, that you had that prime slot on a Sunday at what time when nobody was listening, right, and nobody's listening to you or I, but, yeah. but I mean, in some sense, you're part of that too. Uh, and you know, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I, I love having the familiarity. You know, I mentioned, you know, Mr. Dobbins, our longtime secure, you know, who's handled the security at the door of the clubhouse, who you've known for so many years, guys like that, and and guys like Z, and, and the you know, even the people, you know, the, the parking lot, they you know, Eric, our security guard at the Coliseum. I mean, Eric, Eric is like Benjamin Button, Button, I always kid him, he looks younger every single year I see him. Uh, and uh, you know, Ray and Roy, you know, these are. These are sort of guys we've known, you know, I, I, you know, guys that the public doesn't know, but are part of our history and uh, and that continuity as well. You know, not just the baseball ops people, but the security, you know, the people, again, the security, the photographers. It, again, it's uh, it's what I think has made uh, the A special all around and special, certainly for me. Well, thank you so much for the time. This is going to be a great weekend for A's fans because this era of A's baseball 
They absolutely love it. They love these guys. These guys should get their due. They're a special group. So enjoy it. Soak it all up. It was a wonderful time. It'll never be forgotten in baseball history. And you guys, uh, I think we'll all have a good time getting back together and remembering the good old days. Yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend, Chris, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you out there and everybody else as well. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 